You are listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. Awaken Church is a diverse community of authentic love and hope, where you can belong as you change and change as you follow Jesus. God leaving the 99 for one seems very foolish until you're that one. And I think for a lot of us, well, for most of us, we've been in places in our lives where we were that one, whether we were the outcast of the family or things didn't go the way that we planned and we were just left out or we just left God on the wayside and totally forgot about him. But the problem with thinking that the needs of the many outweigh the few as far as ministry goes is that the few are the ones who are called and chosen. Hmm. And so when you start negating the few because of what they look like, because of what their sexuality is, because of what they do outside of church, I'm not saying that sin isn't sin, but what I'm saying is we have to chase after the few with the same heart that Jesus had for us because there's nobody else that's going to do it. I mean, there's not. And the whole part of you belong and welcome home is at some point you were that one. Yeah, that's right. And somebody reached out to you. So this week as we, you know, go out and and take the sermon and, and apply it to our lives, just remember... I was that one at some point. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to John chapter 8. We're going to read about one of those ones that many of us were like. John chapter 8. Jesus is going to be in this story as the, as the main character, as should be, you know, here at Awaken, Jesus' is subject. It's good he's the main character when we... Uh, look at applying to our lives the scripture and the holy word of God. Jesus has been um, kind of teaching his his disciples, doing some uh, miracles, and the way he's been teaching and leading, well, a lot of the religious leaders of the day, they're called Pharisees, Sadducees, they were taking uh, issue with some of the things Jesus was doing. And so this story is really about these religious leaders trying to get something on Jesus they could use against him. So John chapter 8, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. And as he was speaking, teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, nobody knows what Jesus wrote in the dust with his finger. I'm not even going to pretend. I'm not even going to talk about that today. Um, Just saying, we all wonder what he wrote. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. May God impact us with his Holy Spirit so that we can go and sin no more ourselves as we read his word this morning. You can be seated today. A number of years ago, in the news was a, a pastor who was a TV evangelist. His name was Jim Baker. And Jim and Tammy Faye Baker had a pretty, pretty awesome ministry. 
Um, this was like in the 70s and 80s, so it's probably before most of y'all's time. A few of us will remember, right? And Jim and Tammy Faye Baker had this show called the PTL Club on, on TV called the Praise the Lord Club. And it was it started off like really good. Like they really, they shared encouraging stories and, and how they talked to people how Jesus had made a difference in their lives and t- stories of deliverance and just help and, and, and all of this awesome things. And, and it goes on and they opened up a theme park eventually. Well, I'm like, I'm in with that, you know, a theme park that's Christian-based called Heritage USA. Um, it was really like they began to really roll, like doing a lot of like things that seemed to be like, wow, Christians can have fun and live holy and be righteous. And then it hit the news, a scandal. Jim Baker had had an, an inappropriate Either It was either inappropriate sexual relationship with his secretary, or if you took her story, he raped her. Either way, the story hit that this had happened, and it made there this big scandal. And a, and a big part of that was there was some money that had been paid to try and cover it up. So not only did it happen to hit the news, but before it hit the news, he had spent a lot of millions of dollars to try and cover this up. And then another scandal hit and found out that they had been embezzling, basically, if you want to look at it that way, $1.3 million, no, $1.3 billion in ministry funds that were designated for Heritage USA or for the PTL club that they were benefiting from personally. And I'm not here to like rehash this and throw stones at like these guys in the story with Jesus would at Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. I'm just saying, here's a story of what's led us to today where a lot of people say there's so many hypocrites in the church because it's so in the public eye. Because that's just one, right? We've seen scandals happen with the Catholic Church. We've seen scandals happening with the, the Southern Baptist Association. We've seen scandals happen like a lot of just, just people, Christians and especially pastors who fail, who do who sin, who actually do some things that just for me, I'm like, that is like the some of the worst things you could do and it gets all public and then people who are atheists take that and use it against religion it happens okay not saying that the the bad stuff happens and it's okay it's not it happens and it's not okay but on the same point we're in this series that we're looking at so how can we get to some truth here but the question some people have is how can anybody send money to any TV preachers or how can you how can you give money to your church even because the church is just full of hypocrites have you ever heard that like I don't go to church because of all the hypocrites Right? I don't go to the gym because all the fat people are trying to get well either. I mean, that's just, it's the same idea. It's like, if, if everybody at the gym is not fit, then I'm not going to go. Well, I'm, you're not fit either. You got to go to, you got to go to get there, right? So what about hypocrisy? We're in this series, um, what about? And what about hypocrisy? For just a minute, let's own this, okay? What are some reasons that people have that they would, they claim the church is full of hypocrites? Okay, they'll see somebody because, and, and there's, a, there's a good example because we live in this culture of the general idea of the culture is, well, Christians don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't do any of that. In reality, most people who follow Christ understand there's a such thing as having a drink and being drunk. And, the, and as you walk with Christ, he leads you in that path. And that's not, you know, alcohol is not the topic for today, but that's definitely a reason. If, if people see you in, the, in a bar on Saturday night and you're in church on Sunday, they're like, oh, what a hypocrite. It's too bad, but that is one reason. What else? Somebody was going to say one over here, I think. Yeah, um, uh, I've seen a lot of prophecy uh, gone wrong. Um, Jesus, 
Yes. Right. Right. So a, a word, someone has a word from the Lord for somebody and you use the we or your prophecy. Somebody says, you're going to have, this is going to happen to you. This is going to happen. And it doesn't. And you begin to say, well, all preachers or all Christians are hypocrites. It, it starts to roll that way. Other reasons. Let's own this. What, why do some people claim there's so many hypocrites in church? Okay, passing judgment is just a part of what we do, right? And, and Christians that pass judgment when we have this understanding, well, if you're, you're not supposed to judge anybody, right? And so when you do, well, that, you're being a hypocrite. And that's, that's kind of where we're at with this story. We'll look at a little bit deeper with Jesus as well. Good one. Anything else? Especially around here, it's a small town, surrounded by a bunch of smaller towns. Right. Oh, yeah. And now that person is all up in church, and why should I go over there when I used to do this or that with them? Right. Right. They'll take your, what you did in the past and go, oh, you're a hypocrite. Because mm-hmm. you used to be running the, trust me, Shreveport, late 90s, or, well, early, 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 late 80s, early 90s. Everybody that knew me in Shreveport in that time, now it's like, well, you're a hypocrite being a preacher. No, I'm changed. I'm different. That's good. That's a good point, though. A lot of people know you, and so they hold some stuff you did in the past. Well, there's no way you could. Be. And we start to believe that ourselves, maybe. Well, there's no way God could use me because that's in my past, and I did this and this, and I was this kind of person. All right. So let's go, in, let's go a little deeper here. So a lot of big questions about God and faith, and we've been wrestling with these for, for this month, um, the What About series that we're doing. So today is What About Hypocrisy? If Christianity is true and if, if this really works, why are there so many hypocrites in the church? So what we really want to do is we want to become people who think through what we believe, like what goes through our like we speak from the heart, but we also want that to go through our head. So we want to have this, this understanding, kind of like Carrie Newhoff said, when it comes to the truth, what's real always beats what you feel. What's real always beats what you feel when it comes to the truth. So we want to be the people who seek what's real um, and follow where the evidence leads. Not where we think it leads or where we hope it leads, but where the evidence actually leads. And so John chapter 8 is where we'll go deeper with that. And a couple of other scriptures we'll read too. But here's the big idea. You don't have to be perfect to belong here. God welcomes broken people and so do we. That's our big idea. It's actually a big value, part of who Awakened Church is. Um, you don't have to be perfect to belong here. God welcomes broken people and so do we. So the first thing I want to just kind of spend a little time on this idea of there's a tension that we live in. And this tension we live in is between what's the ideal and what is real. We live in the tension between the ideal and what's real. I have a friend named Charles who was looking for a new church home, and he actually had a checklist, a literal, not like in his mind like checklist. He actually wrote down a checklist, and he would visit a couple of churches, and he would check his list. And if it didn't, for him, it was like, if it didn't check everything on my list, if it didn't tick all my boxes, then I'm not going. But what he found was he found a church that didn't meet a lot of things on his checklist, but he found a place to belong. 
and it made all the difference in the world to my friend Charles. He was, but when he was making this decision to find this new, he, he, knew, he and his family a new church home, he was in this tension between seeking what hit was his ideal and what he found that was real. What would be your ideal church? You don't have to say right now, but you could think about it. What would be your ideal church? And then, does that even exist? I mean, that's a good, that's a good thought, right? Your ideal church, does that even exist? Does the church have problems? Of course. Of course the church has problems because it's got people, right? We all are still people. Even when we come to Christ and we've been redeemed and we, we use the word saved, we get saved, or we live in this relationship of salvation with Jesus, and we begin to follow the path he lays for us. And there's changes that happen in our lives. And sometimes that's habit, sometimes it's behavior, sometimes it's attitude, sometimes it's all of the above. He does the changing as we follow him. We don't have to change to come belong to him. But when we belong to him, we be, he begins to help us make those changes along the way and when that happens we still can mess up there are times when people who are following jesus as best they know how blow it mess up hurt other people even and at awaken i want us to be real enough that when we mess up to the point especially of of hurting somebody that we can say i'm we're sorry and own it like, we're sorry we, we, we came across that way. We're sorry we, we treated you that way. We're sorry you felt treated. We, we're sorry and mean it. I want us to be that real. So let's talk about, you know, the, the truth of history real quick to give us some real evidence on this before we dip back into the story of John chapter 8. Christian establishments have killed approximately 200,000 people over 500 years. Because that's a big one. Like, atheists will say, well, Christians are responsible for all of the wars in history and all the, pro- all the problems in our, in our world goes back to religion, especially God and this God of Jesus. And we look at the Crusades, the Holy Roman Empire. We look at the witch trials. Over this, this 500 years in the history of the world, terrible things have been done in the name of Christ, but Christ never ordained those things. They were never done, like Jesus never said to do these things, just people these Christian regimes or Christian establishments did this over 500 years 200,000 people were killed by Christian establishments that's not okay we can own that we can say yes the crusades happened what the holy roman empire did was not of god the witch trials were not of god doesn't mean it's okay we acknowledge it happens but we've moved on from that so atheists take this and say all of the problems in the world are, are because of religion. But the truth of history continues. And over the last century, atheist establishments have killed 100 million people over the last 100 years. It's a, it's a comparison. There's a 500-year space of history where we're being honest. 200,000 people were killed by what, what were called Christian establishments in the Crusades. But over the last 100 years, atheist establishments have killed 100 million. We're talking about the world wars here, the Soviet Union, communist China. We're talking about Hitler, who was basically said, said he's his own god, basically. Like these are atheist-type regimes, atheist establishments. In the last century, over 100 million people. So what has happened was when atheists said, well, if you take religion out of the whole thing, then everything will be different, be all right. The only problem with that is, some groups that did take religion out of the whole thing actually did worse. The thing with the church, just like anything else, there's a gap between the ideal and the real. 
We have the, our, our ideals, right? The ideal marriage. We have that, that ideal. And then you find out what's real. <laughs> uh, and it gets real, real quick. <laughs> then you have, a, we have this ideal for your children. You know, oh, yes, and you're, you're going to have you know, your children, and you start going, yeah, we'll have, we'll have you know, two boys and one girl. That was our, our deal. And they'll all be like spaced two years apart and all this. And that was 13 years and then 14 months. God's got a different plan. And, and even that, it's like God has a plan, we have a plan, but then it depends on how you just live your life sometimes too. And, and so you have the ideal children and you have your real children, <laughs> right? <laughs> we have an ideal church, the real church. You have an ideal you, which a lot of us, that's what our social media is for. We put up the, the, the best picture with the best lighting, with the best filter, and you got little puppy ears, and you're cute. And my son, Jer- Niall, will see a picture if you've got puppy ears or kitty ears, and he goes, they're adorable. Mission accomplished. Ideal you. Seven-year-old finds you adorable. It rocks. But the real you sometimes feels, wishes you could have a real filter, right? Wishes that lighting could just follow you everywhere. The real us. So we live in this tension. The problem is we're in this gap between the ideal and what's real, and nobody knows what to do with the gap. And so we're in this thing, stuck. And what happens when you get stuck in the gap between here's the ideal and here's the real? It's called shame. We feel shame when we're stuck. We feel stuck in the gap. A lot of the shame that we feel is in this tension, in this place. You're ashamed of what you do. You're ashamed of what you've done. You're ashamed of habits you have. You, sh- you get ashamed of how you treat people. And we experience brokenness. And there's the thing about this tension. Every single one of us has experienced brokenness. The shame creates a distance between us and others. When you're living in this tension and you experience this shame, a distance begins to form. And what we do is we tend to justify ourselves by pointing out the brokenness of others that's where a lot of the finger pointing of all those hypocrites comes from is like i'm stuck in the gap of my own life the own tension of my being between my ideal and my real so look at those hypocrites that's where it comes from not saying there hasn't been true hypocrisy happening but it becomes this weapon that's been used we tend to justify ourselves by pointing out the brokenness of others in the church, we got to stop that. As followers of Christ, we need to stop that. There's no justification for our shame. Jesus wants to take that. Our God is chasing us after us with a reckless love to take that shame away from us and hold it. So we live in this tension between the ideal and the real. So let's not default to that point, finger pointing, pointing out what's wrong with others. Let's be more like Jesus. And here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus hates hypocrisy. Well, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty strong words, Pastor Steve. Jesus hates hypocrisy. I mean, isn't that, isn't that a little savage? Yep, Jesus is savage. Check out Matthew 23. I was going to read a couple of, of verses from this. Sometime when you really want to see what Jesus thinks about hypocrisy, read all of Matthew 23, the whole chapter. Jesus is addressing the crowds, his disciples, and these religious leaders, the same ones who come to him in Luke, uh, uh, John chapter 8 uh, with this, this lady. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, 
It's got an explanation point. That's why I said it that way. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides, you strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. I think that's probably a joke that we don't get. But Jesus being savage... What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You're blind, you blind Pharisee. First wash the inside of the cup and dish, then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are like whitewashed tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but filled in the side with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus is yes, strong. Jesus is savage. Jesus hates hypocrisy. Why do you suppose Jesus hates hypocrisy so much? Give me a quick couple of answers. Why do you think Jesus hates hypocrisy so much? It has nothing to do with love. Excellent. It's an imbalance. It's a, there, there's a definite imbalance that takes place there. Jesus points like, no. Uh, what else? All right. Yeah. Hypocrisy takes focus away from his father. Mm, good. Any other thoughts? Why does Jesus hate hypocrisy so much? I want you to know something. Jesus doesn't hate the hypocrite. He hates the hypocrisy. He wants the hypocrite to turn and repent. And he knows that in his, the, 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 the people he's speaking to in that culture, he's got to be harsh and savage with them because they don't understand anything else. They've set themselves up to be, we're all clean and good and nobody knows anything about what's inside. And Jesus says, yes, we do. Or at least I do. Back to John 8, as Jesus is teaching, these religious leaders bring this woman caught in the, in, in, in the act of sex with someone who's not her husband to Jesus. Um, they quote the Torah, which is this law found in Deuteronomy 22. And it basically states, if a man is found in a, a sexual compromise with a woman who is not his wife, they both are to be brought to the town square among the people and stoned to death. That's in the Torah. That's Deuteronomy 22. And that's what they are basically quoting to Jesus when they bring this woman to him. And as I read this and look at the context and go back and go, I think, well, where's the dude? <laughs> the law, the, that may be what Jesus wrote in the sand. I don't know. Where's the dude? Because it's like the law, the law definitely says, it's pointed at the man. If the man is caught with a woman, they are to be brought. And they brought this woman before Jesus here. Jesus knows their hearts. That's the key here. Jesus knows the hearts go of, of these guys. They are acting out of righteousness. They are acting out of holiness. They, they, Jesus calls them on it too. He says, let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. Who's the one who never sinned? Jesus. And he's not picking up any stones. He's the only one who has the right to throw stones. And he doesn't even pick up one. Their hypocrisy is revealed as they one by one, beginning with the oldest, drop the stones and leave the scene. Be right the right way. 
You can be right the wrong way. You can. And sometimes that's all we care about. Well, we're right, and we can be right the wrong way. The way of Jesus is to be right the right way. Now, this word hypocrite, it comes from the Greek word that it's, it's basically, you could pronounce it almost exactly the same, hypocrite. And it means an actor wearing a mask. The word hypocrite, an actor wearing a mask. In performances, they would literally have two faces. They would play two parts. I have on a mask for one part, maybe not a mask, or maybe two different masks, just depending on what kind of play it was. So basically, Jesus is saying, don't be two-faced. Don't put on a mask and act a part. Be authentic and be real. So yes, here's the thing. Some of the church's history is a history of hypocrisy. We, we admit it. We, we have to admit it. Let's be honest. But where this is true, it does not reflect God. It does not reflect Christ. But 100% of the church's history is a history of sinners. And there's a difference. There's a difference. Because remember, Jesus hates, hates hypocrisy. He loves the hypocrites. But he wants the sinners to come to him. Because we're all sinners when we come to Jesus. When we come to Jesus, he begins to change us. And we can stand, we don't have to keep saying we're sinners because he changes us and creates us all through the New Testament. The word that's used is saints. And we always say, wait a minute, I'm not a saint. But Jesus says, yeah, you are. If you're following me, if you've been saved by my blood, if you've got the power of the resurrection, if my Holy Spirit has come and you, are, you have the Holy Spirit, guess what? You're a saint. Who that? Doesn't matter if they throw a flag or not. We're winners. But yes, when we, but when we come to Jesus, we're sinners. Every single one of us. Every one of us. We start at the same place. Brokenness is this, is this place of our sin. And we don't like the word sin too much. <laughs> Actually, in our, today, we kind of want to st- stay away from that. Well, don't use the word sinners or sin anymore. I'm like, well, that's the only word they use in the Scripture. Uh, but we're quick to agree that none of us are perfect, right? Okay, none of us are perfect. And on some level, we're all broken people. It's two ways to say the same thing. That's what sin means. We're broken people, and we're not perfect. And this is our gap between the ideal and the real. So here's the good news. God does not use perfect people. He uses people he's perfecting who have come to him as sinners with sin. And when you confess Jesus as Lord, what he does is he begins to perfect you. When that happens, I don't know. I'm assuming it's after this death, when this life is over at some point, because I don't know anybody. I know some pretty old folks who've been following Jesus a long time, and they're not yet perfect. But he is perfecting us. I'm not the same as I was yesterday. I'm different. More like Christ. And that's the goal, to become more like Jesus in every moment, right? Where would you find find perfect people anyway if he was going to use them? I mean, I don't know. So Jesus hates hypocrisy, but he loves broken people. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus loves sinners. There's um, a picture I want Christian to put up. I think it's a, a jar that's cracked. And think about a cracked jar. I thought about bringing one in here, and then I'd be like making a big mess because I was going to pour water in it and show how the broken, a cracked jar won't hold water. So I just figured a picture would be less messy, right? And so it, uh, this cracked jar, it just what good is a cracked jar? I mean, it doesn't hold water, right? Have you ever felt like a broken jar? 
I certainly have. I know what it feels like to feel like I'm a, I'm a broken vessel. I'm a cracked jar or a cracked pot. <laughs> isn't, that a, isn't that a phrase? A cracked pot. I've noticed it's like to feel like that. One by one, the religious leaders face with their hypocrisy depart from this woman who I know sat there and felt like a broken jar, a broken vessel. They left her in the middle of the crowd. You know, we get this idea, it's just her and Jesus. They're in the middle of a crowd. The crowd is still there. And Jesus says, where are your accusers? Didn't anyone condemn you? No, Lord, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And there's a piece we never want to miss. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, I love you in your sin and you're broken, and now just go and keep on sinning every day because we're all sinners anyway. He says, go and sin no more. Forgiveness isn't justification for your sin. Forgiveness is a way through it. It's not justification to just keep on. It's a way through it. So there's a cliche, Christians aren't perfect, they're just forgiven. You heard that, seen a bumper sticker, that. Let's not let that, kind of the truth of that, give us permission to act unloving towards others. Because that's what I've seen happen. Christians aren't perfect, we're just forgiven. In other words, I don't have to treat you right. I'm forgiven. No, you do have to treat people right if you want to follow Jesus. Jesus says, go and sin no more. I'm not going to condemn you. I've got a better plan. That's the, that's the thing with Jesus. He's like, I've got a better plan than that for you. Jesus hated hypocrisy of the religious leaders, but he loved this woman, and he told her the truth. You don't have to sin. You don't have to. You don't have to live in the tension anymore between the ideal and what's real. Let your what's real change as you follow me. Let your ideal be found in Christ, not in religion, not in what somebody else says. Let your ideal be found in Him. So the question is this question of sin. When have you been caught? I've been there. It's kind of weird to say I've been the woman in the story <laughs> caught in adultery. I've never cheated on my wife, so, so I'm not literally that. But I've been the person caught in sin, definitely. I've been the broken jar when have you been caught in the gap between the ideal and what's real? Because with our sin, we can go into denial. We can experience futility of just trying harder. Because we do that too, right? Well, it's going to try harder. And it's futile. Because it always results in being harder to try it the next time. We feel fear and anxiety that accompanies brokenness. And Jesus comes up to next to us and says, I'm your friend. That's it. I just want to be your friend. We have this anxiety and this fear because we're caught in this tension and this brokenness. And Jesus is like, just let me walk with you. Let me just hang out with you. There's a better way. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says about us who are following Christ, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. In other words, Jesus is the light that shines through our brokenness. Jesus is that we are the fragile clay jars or jars of clay, and, and we're cracked, and Jesus' light shines through that. And Christians should have a picture to put up of the cracked jar with the light shining through it so you can see like, how that looks. Like You can see the Jesus through the brokenness. The more his light shines through me, the more my life becomes as God intended. 
And that's the same for you. The more His light shines through you, the more your life becomes as God intended. So we come to this place of kind of wrapping this up and saying, what is our next step? We always want to know what is our next step. Every week we should be thinking about what's my next step. What, what do I need to, is there something I need to think? Is there something I need to feel? Is there something I need to do? Jesus says, I'm not with the hypocrites. I'm with the sinners. <laughs> I'm with the broken people. That means there's hope. If you're in the gap this morning, if you're lost between this tension of the ideal and the real, Jesus invites you to become as God intended. He's inviting you to come to the altar, although we don't have a literal altar for you to come and kneel down here. He's inviting you to come to His altar, His presence, to come and become as God intended, to turn the direction of your life toward Jesus. That's the next step. Turn the direction of your life towards Jesus. The churchy word for that is repent. When a lot of times we hear the word repent, we feel like, oh, that's, like con- that's condemning. Repent! It literally means just turn your life towards Jesus. Is there something I need to think to turn my life towards Jesus? Is there something that I need to, I need to feel to turn my life towards Jesus? Is there something I need to do? And maybe that's where somebody is right now. Like I, what I need to do is I need to just, I need to just say, yes, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And I want you to lead me out of this tension, this sin, this brokenness. You don't have to be perfect to belong here. God welcomes broken people, and so do we. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to begin the prayer with a, with a prayer specifically. If you are like, man, I want to, I want to, be, I want to give my like, life to God. I want to follow Jesus. Just silently repeat this after me. And if you do that, um, you know what you've done? You've, you've begun this, this journey of taking a next step that's yours. Your next steps are your to make, yours to make. But just in case there's somebody who's like, I want to make this step, I'm not sure how, let me just lead you through that real quick. Let's all pray. Lord, we love you. And before I just, just give us a, a prayer that will lead us into worship and acknowledging who you are, Lord, I just want to stop with those who may in this moment just be saying, you know what, I want to follow you, Jesus. And so Lord, as I pray, Lord, they're, going to just, they're just going to silently pray with me. Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. And I need you. I want your light to shine through my life. And I want to walk away from who I have been and walk into who you want to create me to be. And so make me new because I want to be more like you, Jesus. Thank you. And I will acknowledge in this moment it is through the crucifixion that I have forgiveness of sin. It's through the resurrection that I have the power to walk away from that sin. And I believe in the crucifixion and resurrection. Thank you, Jesus. I love you. Amen. Now, Father, we've prayed that. But all of us, Lord, come to you in this moment. And we know that, that we all are prone to brokenness. And we all feel like, you know, maybe some of us even here are like, you know what? I've even been a hypocrite. And we want to turn from that and turn to you. We want to turn our lives towards you and go a better way, the way you have for us. Lord, you say go and sin no more. We want to do that. And on our own, we can't. But we thank you that you haven't left us on our own. And so we say, yes, lead us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Awaken Natchitoches podcast. 
It's our hope that you have been encouraged by today's message. Find out more about Awaken Church at awakenla.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Awaken Church LA.